Hello, hello, hello. This is Monica, and this is Remembering the Misremembers. And um, today I am continuing with my Musical Feud series, which is uh, you know, talking about some classic feuds that uh, took place basically, you know, back in the day, because, you know, I talk about stuff from back in the day. Uh, but the part, the person that I'm going to be speaking about today is someone that's really known by everybody. This is a, a, a big, 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 big star. One of the biggest stars ever. Um, she was a queen. Let me give you a hint. She was a queen of soul. Okay, Aretha Franklin. Now, Aretha Franklin spent many decades from the late 1960s until her death in the late 2010s protecting her title of Queen of Soul. Aretha established one of the most successful music careers in history, so not surprisingly, her ego became as inflated as her fluctuating physical weight. Not only was Aretha Franklin known as the Queen of Soul, a nickname bestowed upon her by radio personality Purvis Spann, but many people see her as the Queen of Shade as she frequently tossed shade on other singers with sarcastic, snide remarks and venomous eye rolls. Aretha was the queen of feuds. Versus, that's V-E-R-Z-U-Z, is a word now associated with friendly and respectful back and forth among music makers. But in Aretha's case, it likely would have been a sing-off until the death and a true test of who was the best. And this is my 11th episode of Remembering the Misremembered and second in the Musical Feud series. I'm going to look back at the Queen of Soul and Queen of Feuds, the one and only Aretha Franklin. Now, on August 16, 2018, Queen of Soul Aretha Franklin passed away at the age of 76 following years of ill health. It brought an end to a long, varied, and storied career as well as a life filled with heartache, trauma and almost constant conflict. Aretha's life was very, very big, full and action-packed and there's just too much that we could talk about. But I want to concentrate on the feuds that she indulged in and why she needed to engage in feuds in order to maintain supremacy. We need to examine Aretha's background to get at least a little understanding about what shaped Aretha's psychology. Why was she so shady, insecure and petty? Why did she guard her title of Queen of Souls so jealously? What forces contributed to Aretha becoming Queen of Shade, Queen of Verses, and Queen of Feuds? I'm not here to hate on Aretha. We all love Aretha, but Aretha was difficult. And we need to look into her life to try to maybe figure out why. So, a little about the background of the super diva for those who don't know and for those who do. Aretha Louise Franklin was born in Memphis, Tennessee on March 25, 1942 under the sun sign of Aries. The name Aretha is a Greek name meaning excellent, righteous, virtuous, and even beauty. She's the only child in her family whose name carries this kind of uniqueness, so I'm guessing that her parents had greatness in mind for their baby girl. Now, her parents were a gospel singer and pianist named Barbara Vernice Siggers Franklin, and a minister, civil rights activist who was born by the name of Clarence LaVon Walker. 
Now, his surname was changed to Franklin after his mother, Rachel, married Henry Franklin, and he was adopted by him. He became well known as Reverend C.L. Franklin, having started his ministry when he was 16 years old. Now, Barbara and C.L. were Mississippi natives, and they married in Mississippi. C.L. had a brief marriage previously to a woman named Aileen Gaines. Now, they married in 1934, and they split up by 1936. Now, there's some question as to how the marriage was dissolved. Did they divorce, or did she die or disappear? Not sure. But 1936 is the year that C.L. split with Aileen and married Barbara in June of that year. Barbara was already the mother of a toddler named Vaughn from another relationship who C.L. adopted. Now, Vaughn didn't know that he was adopted until he was 17 years old, and I don't know if he ever met his biological father or if he even knew who he was. C.L. and Barbara had their first biological child together in 1938, a girl named Irma Vernice. In 1940, Barbara and C.L. had a son together named Cecil. Now, 1940 is the same year that C.L. also had a daughter named Carl Ellen with a 12-year-old member of his church congregation named Mildred. So when Aretha came along in 1942, she was born into a troubled marital situation and a certain familial chaos. On May 13, 1944, the Franklins had their last child, a little girl named Carolyn Ann. It's worth mentioning that Mahalia Jackson called Barbara Franklin one of the finest gospel singers and pianists in the country. Likewise, C.L. Franklin was known as the man with the million-dollar voice for his talents as both a singer and a preacher. So Aretha's talents as singer, songwriter, and pianist were surely genetic. In fact, all of the daughters that Barbara and C.L. produced together were blessed with considerable musical ability. But the fact that C.L. Franklin couldn't keep it in his pants and was in was sleeping with anything breathing. I mean, come on, he impregnated a 12-year-old, people. And may have been physically abusive, as he would be in a future relationship, were sources of great pain for Barbara Franklin. C.L. moved the family to Buffalo, New York, where he pastored Friendship Baptist Church from May of 1944 until June of 1946. He then began pastoring New Bethel Baptist Church in Detroit, Michigan, a position he would hold for 33 years. Barbara and C.L. separated in 1948, with Barbara moving back to Buffalo, New York with Vaughn. Now, I don't believe the rumor that Barbara abandoned her other kids. I really think that C.L. didn't let her take the others. I know I'm speculating, but she probably was planning to reclaim her little ones at some point because she was building a life for herself. Aretha became quite defensive when people claimed that her mommy abandoned her and let people know that Barbara was a good and responsible mother who they visited and spent summer vacations with. Now keep in mind, Aretha was six when her mother split from her father. Then on March 7, 1952, Barbara Sigurds Franklin died at the young age of 34 and just weeks before Aretha's 10th birthday. The cause of Barbara Franklin's death is open for debate. It's been said that Barbara suffered a heart attack, but theories of foul play abound as well. She may have been hit by a car. The most outrageous theory is suicide by self-stabbing. 
It might not have been wise to get on the bad side of the powerful preacher who didn't attend her funeral even though he was still legally her husband. Aretha and her siblings did attend their mother's funeral, however. This tragedy marked the end of Aretha's so-called childhood. She was already damaged by life. All of this began the major trauma of Aretha's early years, a life of instability and loss. Aretha had mother figures in her life after the death of her mother, women like gospel greats Mahalia Jackson and Clara Ward. Around 1949, C.L. started a tumultuous relationship with Ward, and they would be off and on until her 1973 death. Now, Aretha always looked at Clara Ward and her father as close friends, but you know, they were more than friends. And sometimes Aretha liked to turn a blind eye to the truth, which is understandable considering these painful beginnings that she had. I really find it hard to believe that Aretha didn't see her father's behavior in his relationships with multiple women. The sex, the violence, and whatever else went on. Aretha's grandmother, Rachel, was also an important woman in her life. Aretha started singing and playing piano by ear. And celebrities were a regular fixture at the Franklin home. And C.L. liked to show off Aretha's abilities to his famous friends. Now, these friends were not just Mahalia and Clara, but people like James Cleveland, who went on to help mentor Aretha. Albertina Walker, Inez Andrews, MLK, um, and secular singers like Jackie Wilson, Sam Cooke, Nat King Cole. A lot of these people would just drop by the house. So Aretha grew up with this strange combination of untreated emotional trauma, neglect, and pampered privilege. She came of age in Detroit during that city's golden age. She grew up with Smokey Robinson, a lifelong friend to her and her brother Cecil. Aretha learned to compete with her siblings for her father's attention. She had his ear as the most talented of his talented kids. And I'm sure much of her feuding instinct was sharpened right inside the Franklin home. Aretha started singing solos at her father's church. The first song she sang publicly, as far as anyone can remember, is Jesus Be a Fence Around Me. She traveled with her father for gospel caravan tours, where she sang and sometimes played piano, and he preached and sometimes sang. In her travels, Mavis met other young up-and-coming singers like Mavis Staples and Dionne Warwick, who you know were both a little older than Aretha, but she befriended them and would compete with them over the years. More proof that there would be no childhood for Aretha Franklin if there was a question came when she was 12. CL started managing her and helped her to get her very first record deal. But on January 28, 1955, two months shy of her 13th birthday, Aretha Franklin gave birth to a baby. Yes, 12-year-old Aretha gave birth to her very first child. Now, this is the second time in the course of this story that we're talking about a 12-year-old girl becoming a mother. Aretha gave birth at 12, the same age that the young girl Mildred was when she gave birth to C.L. Franklin's daughter, Carl Ellen. Aretha was mom on the child's paternity throughout her life. She was equally tight-lipped about the paternity of her second son, who she gave birth to at 14. There was widespread talk that the very grown Sam Cooke might have fathered him. The father of both boys is believed to be the same person. 
Edward Jordan, but this information was closely guarded during Aretha's life. Was there anyone for young Aretha to talk about her body and what it was capable of with, or the confusing adult feelings that she might have been experiencing? I don't know if there were any conversations being had or if she just wasn't listening. Her grandmother had to step up and raise these babies because Aretha wanted stardom and had to put in a lot of time working for it. As an adult, she would have two more sons and two marriages, including a physically abusive one. Now, I thought it was important to understand some of these things that shaped Aretha and what contributed to her feuding with almost every other singer she's ever met. So let's get into some of Aretha Franklin's most interesting feuds. Now, we can start off with Aretha versus Natalie Cole. In 1977, the New York Times did an article in which Natalie Cole was called the new queen of soul. <clears throat> this wasn't Natalie's fault, but Aretha seemed to blame her. Aretha became angry, too, when Natalie broke Aretha's eight-year winning streak at the Grammys. She stopped speaking to Natalie and made nasty comments about Natalie singing to the press. Natalie idolized and revered Aretha, so she was really hurt and said it took her some time to get over Aretha's attitude towards her. Aretha dismissed Natalie as a beginner who can only pick up on another singer's sound, and also said that she would say it to Natalie's face, allegedly. This was a sign that Natalie Cole had arrived, like it or not. Aretha versus Luther. Aretha wasn't impressed with Luther Vandross, even though he had been hired to produce her album. Aretha didn't think that Luther qualified to boss her around in the studio. Hadn't he learned much of what he knew from listening to her? During a telephone conversation where they discussed the upcoming album, Luther was put off by Aretha's cold, formal demeanor and her insistence on being addressed as Miss Franklin, while she called him Mr. Vandross or simply Vandross. In the studio, they disagreed. Finally, Aretha asked Luther, which one of us has more hits? Clearly, there was no contest. It was early in Luther's career, so he only had one hit, while she had many. He granted her that, but then he flipped the question on her. But who has the most recent hit? He had her there, so she stormed out of the room. They got it together, though. Luther produced Aretha's Jump To It and Get It Right albums, which were pretty successful comebacks for her. And apparently they bonded over their mutual love of fried chicken. Someone claimed that Aretha and Luther left a studio reeking of fried chicken, allegedly. Aretha versus Roberta Flack. Aretha felt threatened by Roberta Flack and got up and walked out when a producer named Joel Dorn tried to play Roberta's first album for her. They were on the same record label, and Aretha thought it highly inappropriate that another soul singer, songwriter, and pianist was on the label. Aretha allegedly tried to block Roberta's progress at the label. Aretha versus Whitney Houston. These two singers recorded together only once. Aretha had known Whitney since she was a child, back when Whitney's mother, Sissy, used to be Aretha's backup singer. But if Whitney thought that Aretha's association with Sissy would make things easy, she was mistaken. Aretha went out of her way to show Whitney who the boss was up in here. And she later said that Whitney needed to show humility. 
Aretha versus Dionne Warwick. Being friends with the Queen of Soul didn't mean she wouldn't feud with you. Aretha and Dion were friends for decades, but they had a little spat when word got back to the Queen that Dion had referred to Aretha as Whitney Houston's godmother at Whitney's funeral. Now, at the beginning of Whitney Houston's career, her mentor, Clive Davis, pulled out all the stops to take her directly to the top, and he exploited her connections, billing her as Sissy Houston's daughter, which was true, and Dionne Warwick's cousin, also true. He also claimed that Whitney was Aretha's goddaughter, which wasn't true, but apparently it was okay with Aretha at the beginning because she never complained about it until Dion rehashed it at the funeral. But did Aretha have to call it libelous? And did she have to say that she didn't have time to be Whitney's godmother? But I guess if she didn't have time to be a mother to her own children, she shouldn't have been expected to godparent little Whitney Houston, should she? And for those who don't know, singer Darlene Love had the honor of being Whitney's real godmother. Also, too, I want to add about this uh, feud with Dionne Warwick. It actually goes back much. Now, back in the 1960s, Dionne Warwick was one of the biggest pop stars of that decade. She spent the 60s opening a a lot of doors for women on the pop charts. And, of course, she had that hit, uh, I Say a Little Prayer for You. Well, you know, when Aretha heard that, her feelings of jealousy really were fueled. You know, she wanted to be a bigger pop sensation than she was at the time. So what did Aretha do? She went and recorded her version of I Say a Little Prayer for You. And her version, in many people's opinions, including the opinions of Burt Bacharach and Hal David, who wrote the song, Aretha's version was superior They said it was the definitive version of that song. So I guess score one for Aretha on that. Now this is a little more alleged, a little more um, murky. There were rumors of an Aretha versus Mahalia Jackson feud, allegedly because Mahalia refused to perjure herself in court to help C.L. Franklin. But there's not much said about it. I couldn't find much on it. So this will have to go in the rumor pile and the allegedly pile. Aretha versus Gladys Knight. These divas apparently had a stormy relationship that got stormier when Gladys wrote personal information about Aretha in her autobiography. I think Aretha thought Gladys reignited talk that Aretha's mother abandoned her, which was a very touchy subject for Miss Franklin. Aretha versus Patti LaBelle. This might not have been just about singing, but about cooking and the fact that Patty beat Aretha to the punch when she put out her successful line of sweet potato pies. Aretha had always wanted to start a food line, so it must have been hard to watch Patty succeed so wildly in this endeavor. Uh, Patty and Aretha were seen in public somewhere, where I think Aretha was the focus of the action, and uh, Patty was an audience member. And Patty looked like she was trying to speak to Aretha, and Aretha just walked right past her and didn't even look at her. This footage can be viewed on YouTube. Um, You know, just look up, I guess, Aretha walking past Patty LaBelle or something like that. And uh, it's pretty easy to find. Aretha versus Mavis Staples. Aretha recorded a gospel duet with Mavis, one of the few singers who could keep up with her. In fact, after hearing the recording, she felt that Mavis's vocals surpassed her own. So, according to Aretha's sister Irma, Aretha had Mavis's vocal turned down low in the final mix, 
which caused there to be bad blood between the two longtime friends. Aretha versus her sisters, Irma and Carolyn. Speaking of Aretha's sisters, Aretha supposedly did all she could to hold Irma and Carolyn back. Now remember, these are the first people that Aretha ever feuded with, these are her sisters who she grew up in the same house with. It was fine for them to work with her, arranging vocals and singing backup, even writing songs. But Aretha had a real problem with either of them having careers of their own. She blocked Irma from signing with Epic Records, and when Carolyn was offered the chance to sing on the Sparkle soundtrack, Aretha muscled her way in so that she ended up singing it. Aretha versus Tina Turner. Aretha allegedly became upset when people started calling the queen of rock and roll, calling Tina Turner the queen of rock and roll. I guess she thought it would cause confusion or something. I don't know. But Tina said it was crazy for Aretha to think that she was the only queen that there is. Aretha versus Beyonce. Now this is attached to Aretha's Tina Turner feud. Beyonce was somewhere on stage and she introduced Tina as the queen. And she is the queen of rock and roll as we just stated. And Aretha had the typical Aretha conniption. But anyway, those are some of Aretha's feuds. I could have probably gone into more feuds, but hey, I had no idea how long this was going to take. But that's the story of Aretha Franklin's feuds, basically. You know, she basically feuded with whoever came up, you know, because if it was a talented person, all of these people that she has had these feuds with have been very talented. And I think uh, Aretha admires the talent, but it also, you know, gave her feelings of insecurity about her own talent and you know not just her talent but her position and her supremacy she needed to be the very best and I think some of these people just in her mind you know they were a threat but uh, to be fair there were some singers that she liked as you know not just as singers but I guess as people you know she liked Jennifer Hudson enough to cast her as her in her biopic she liked Diana Ross and she liked Mariah Carey and sang some of Mariah's songs in her concerts like Hero, um, Dream Lover, and I thought it was hilarious when she did Touch My Body. And according to Mariah, Aretha insisted that Mariah sing at the very first Divas Live, showing that she could be generous when she wanted to be. But the way that Aretha carried on, you might not guess that she was one of the most successful singers in the history of recording recorded sound. I mean, she had like maybe 112 different chartings uh, on the charts over the course of her career. She was a pioneer with more than her share of firsts. She was the first woman inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. She was the youngest person up until Stevie Wonder came along to be uh, picked for the Kennedy Center Honors. She had a lot of honors. I can't even... I can't even get into that. That's probably a, an episode uh, unto itself. And it may be an episode that I you know, try to do in the future. Um, she opened a lot of doors for black people and for women. She was difficult and haughty, but don't we expect that from our divas? I mean, we would be really bored if she was just sitting around being nice to everybody and all that type of thing. You know, No, this was a real battle for supremacy for her. And, you know, she did what she had to do, I suppose, at least, you know, in her mind. She was a difficult lady, but she never gave us less than too much. 
I'm Monica, and this is Remembering the Misremembered Musical Feuds. I don't know what I'm going to call it. I guess I'm going to just call it Aretha Queen of Feuds and not Aretha Queen of Verses. I think that probably uh, would be appropriate because Aretha was something else. And that is really missed. But anyway, Monica here, remembering the misremembered, remembering the, remembering the super diva herself, Miss Aretha Franklin. I will see you soon. Hello, hello, hello. This is Monica, and this is Remembering the Misremembers. And um, today I am continuing with my Musical Feud series, which is uh, you know, talking about some classic feuds that uh, took place basically, you know, back in the day, because you know I talk about stuff from back in the day. Uh, but the per the person that I'm going to be speaking about today is someone that's really known by everybody. This is a, a, a big, 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 big star. One of the biggest stars ever. Um, she was a queen. Let me give you a hint. She was a queen of soul. Okay, Aretha Franklin. Now, Aretha Franklin spent many decades from the late 1960s until her death in the late 2010s protecting her title of Queen of Soul. Aretha established one of the most successful music careers in history, so not surprisingly, her ego became as inflated as her fluctuating physical weight. Not only was Aretha Franklin known as the Queen of Soul, a nickname bestowed upon her by radio personality Purvis Spann, but many people see her as the Queen of Shade as she frequently tossed shade on other singers with sarcastic, snide remarks and venomous eye rolls. Aretha was the queen of feuds. Verses, that's V-E-R-Z-U-Z, -E is a word now associated with friendly and respectful back and forth among music makers. But in Aretha's case, it likely would have been a sing-off until the death and a true test of who was the best. And this is my 11th episode of Remembering the Misremembered and second in the Musical Feud series. I'm going to look back at the Queen of Soul and Queen of Feuds, the one and only Aretha Franklin. Now, on August 16, 2018, Queen of Soul Aretha Franklin passed away at the age of 76 following years of ill health. It brought an end to a long, varied, and storied career as well as a life filled with heartache, trauma and almost constant conflict. Aretha's life was very, very big, full and action-packed and there's just too much that we could talk about. But I want to concentrate on the feuds that she indulged in and why she needed to engage in feuds in order to maintain supremacy. We need to examine Aretha's background to get at least a little understanding about what shaped Aretha's psychology. Why was she so shady, insecure and petty? Why did she guard her title of Queen of Souls so jealously? What forces contributed to Aretha becoming Queen of Shade, Queen of Verses, and Queen of Feuds? I'm not here to hate on Aretha. We all love Aretha, but 
Aretha was difficult. And we need to look and into her life to try to maybe figure out why. So, a little about the background of the super diva for those who don't know and for those who do. Aretha Louise Franklin was born in Memphis, Tennessee on March 25, 1942 under the sun sign of Aries. The name Aretha is a Greek name meaning excellent, righteous, virtuous, and even beauty. She's the only child in her family whose name carries this kind of uniqueness, so I'm guessing that her parents had greatness in mind for their baby girl. Now, her parents were a gospel singer and pianist named Barbara Vernice Sigurds Franklin and a minister, civil rights activist who was born by the name of Clarence LaVon Walker. Now, his surname was changed to Franklin after his mother, Rachel, married Henry Franklin, and he was adopted by him. He became well known as Reverend C.L. Franklin, having started his ministry when he was 16 years old. Now, Barbara and C.L. were Mississippi natives, and they married in Mississippi. C.L. had a brief marriage previously to a woman named Aileen Gaines. Now, they married in 1934, and they split up by 1936. Now, there's some question as to how the marriage was dissolved. Did they divorce, or did she die or disappear? Not sure. But 1936 is the year that C.L. split with Aileen and married Barbara in June of that year. Barbara was already the mother of a toddler named Vine from another relationship who C.L. adopted. Now, Vine didn't know that he was adopted until he was 17 years old, and I don't know if he ever met his biological father or if he even knew who he was. C.L. and Barbara had their first biological child together in 1938, a girl named Irma Vernice. In 1940, Barbara and C.L. had a son together named Cecil. Now, 1940 is the same year that C.L. also had a daughter named Carl Ellen with a 12-year-old member of his church congregation named Mildred. So when Aretha came along in 1942, she was born into a troubled marital situation and a certain familial chaos. On May 13, 1944, the Franklins had their last child, a little girl named Carolyn Ann. It's worth mentioning that Mahalia Jackson called Barbara Franklin one of the finest gospel singers and pianists in the country. Likewise, C.L. Franklin was known as the man with the million-dollar voice for his talents as both a singer and a preacher. So Aretha's talents as singer, songwriter, and pianist were surely genetic. In fact, all of the daughters that Barbara and C.L. produced together were blessed with considerable musical ability. But the fact that C.L. Franklin couldn't keep it in his pants and was in, was sleeping with anything breathing... I mean, come on, he impregnated a 12-year-old, people. And may have been physically abusive, as he would be in a future relationship. Were sources of great pain for Barbara Franklin. C.L. moved the family to Buffalo, New York, where he pastored Friendship Baptist Church from May of 1944 until June of 1946. He then began pastoring New Bethel Baptist Church in Detroit, Michigan a position he would hold for 33 years. Barbara and C.L. separated in 1948, with Barbara moving back to Buffalo, New York with Vaughn. Now, I don't believe the rumor that Barbara abandoned her other kids. 
I really think that CL didn't let her take the others. I know I'm speculating, but she probably was planning to reclaim her little ones at some point because she was building a life for herself. Aretha became quite defensive when people claimed that her mommy abandoned her and let people know that Barbara was a good and responsible mother who they visited and spent summer vacations with. Now keep in mind, Aretha was six when her mother split from her father. Then on March 7, 1952, Barbara Sigurds Franklin died at the young age of 34 and just weeks before Aretha's 10th birthday. The cause of Barbara Franklin's death is open for debate. It's been said that Barbara suffered a heart attack, but theories of foul play abound as well. She may have been hit by a car. The most outrageous theory is suicide by self-stabbing. It might not have been wise to get on the bad side of the powerful preacher who didn't attend her funeral even though he was still legally her husband. Aretha and her siblings did attend their mother's funeral, however. This tragedy marked the end of Aretha's so-called childhood. She was already damaged by life. All of this began the major trauma of Aretha's early years, a life of instability and loss. Aretha had mother figures in her life after the death of her mother, women like gospel greats Mahalia Jackson and Clara Ward. Around 1949, C.L. started a tumultuous relationship with Ward and they would be off and on until her 1973 death. Now, Aretha always looked at Clara Ward and her father as close friends, but you know, they were more than friends. And sometimes Aretha liked to turn a blind eye to the truth, which is understandable considering these painful beginnings that she had. I really find it hard to believe that Aretha didn't see her father's behavior in his relationships with multiple women. The sex, the violence, and what, whatever else went on. Aretha's grandmother, Rachel, was also an important woman in her life. Aretha started singing and playing piano by ear. And celebrities were a regular fixture at the Franklin home. And C.L. liked to show off Aretha's abilities to his famous friends. Now, these friends were not just Mahalia and Clara, but people like James Cleveland, who went on to help mentor Aretha. Albertina Walker, Inez Andrews, MLK, um, and secular singers like Jackie Wilson, Sam Cooke, Nat King Cole. A lot of these people would just drop by the house. So Aretha grew up with this strange combination of untreated emotional trauma, neglect, and pampered privilege. She came of age in Detroit during that city's golden age. She grew up with Smokey Robinson, a lifelong friend to her and her brother Cecil. Aretha learned to compete with her siblings for her father's attention. She had his ear as the most talented of his talented kids. And I'm sure much of her feuding instinct was sharpened right inside the Franklin home. Aretha started singing solos at her father's church. The first song she sang publicly, as far as any, anyone can remember, is Jesus Be a Fence Around Me. She traveled with her father for gospel caravan tours where she sang and sometimes played piano, and he preached and sometimes sang. In her travels, Mavis met other young up-and-coming singers like Mavis Staples and Dionne Warwick, who you know were both a little older than Aretha, but she befriended them and would compete with them over the years. More proof that there would be no childhood for Aretha Franklin if there was a question came when she was 12. 
CL started managing her and helped her to get her very first record deal. But on January 28, 1955, two months shy of her 13th birthday, Aretha Franklin gave birth to a baby. Yes, 12-year-old Aretha gave birth to her very first child. Now, this is the second time in the course of this story that we're talking about a 12-year-old girl becoming a mother. Aretha gave birth at 12, the same age that the young girl Mildred was when she gave birth to C.L. Franklin's daughter, Carl Ellen. Aretha was mom on the child's paternity throughout her life. She was equally tight-lipped about the paternity of her second son, who she gave birth to at 14. There was widespread talk that the very grown Sam Cooke might have fathered him. The father of both boys is believed to be the same person, Edward Jordan, but this information was closely guarded during Aretha's life. Was there anyone for young Aretha to talk about her body and what it was capable of with, or the confusing adult feelings that she might have been experiencing? I don't know if there were any conversations being had or if she just wasn't listening. Her grandmother had to step up and raise these babies because Aretha wanted stardom and had to put in a lot of time working for it. As an adult, she would have two more sons and two marriages, including a physically abusive one. Now, I thought it was important to understand some of these things that shaped Aretha and what contributed to her feuding with almost every other singer she's ever met. So let's get into some of Aretha Franklin's most interesting feuds. Now, we can start off with Aretha versus Natalie Cole. In 1977, the New York Times did an article in which Natalie Cole was called the new queen of soul. <clears throat> this wasn't Natalie's fault, but Aretha seemed to blame her. Aretha became angry, too, when Natalie broke Aretha's eight-year winning streak at the Grammys. She stopped speaking to Natalie and made nasty comments about Natalie singing to the press. Natalie idolized and revered Aretha, so she was really hurt and said it took her some time to get over Aretha's attitude towards her. Aretha dismissed Natalie as a beginner who can only pick up on another singer's sound and also said that she would say it to Natalie's face, allegedly. This was a sign that Natalie Cole had arrived, like it or not. Aretha versus Luther. Aretha wasn't impressed with Luther Vandross, even though he had been hired to produce her album. Aretha didn't think that Luther qualified to boss her around in the studio. Hadn't he learned much of what he knew from listening to her? During a telephone conversation where they discussed the upcoming album, Luther was put off by Aretha's cold, formal demeanor and her insistence on being addressed as Miss Franklin while she called him Mr. Vandross or simply Vandross. In the studio, they disagreed. Finally, Aretha asked Luther, which one of us has more hits? Clearly, there was no contest. It was early in Luther's career, so he only had one hit while she had many. He granted her that, but then he flipped the question on her. But who has the most recent hit? He had her there, so she stormed out of the room. They got it together, though. Luther produced Aretha's Jump To It and Get It Right albums, which were pretty successful comebacks for her. And apparently they bonded over their mutual love of fried chicken. Someone claimed that Aretha and Luther left a studio reeking of fried chicken, allegedly. 
Aretha versus Roberta Flack. Aretha felt threatened by Roberta Flack and got up and walked out when a producer named Joel Dorn tried to play Roberta's first album for her. They were on the same record label and Aretha thought it highly inappropriate that another soul singer, songwriter, and pianist was on the label. Aretha allegedly tried to block Roberta's progress at the label. Aretha versus Whitney Houston. These two singers recorded together only once. Aretha had known Whitney since she was a child, back when Whitney's mother, Sissy, used to be Aretha's backup singer. But if Whitney thought that Aretha's association with Sissy would make things easy, she was mistaken. Aretha went out of her way to show Whitney who the boss was up in here. And she later said that Whitney needed to show humility. Aretha versus Dionne Warwick. Being friends with the Queen of Soul didn't mean she wouldn't feud with you. Aretha and Dion were friends for decades, but they had a little spat when word got back to the Queen that Dion had referred to Aretha as Whitney Houston's godmother at Whitney's funeral. Now, at the beginning of Whitney Houston's career, her mentor, Clive Davis, pulled out all the stops to take her directly to the top, and he exploited her connections, billing her as Sissy Houston's daughter, which was true, and Dion Warwick's cousin, also true. He also claimed that Whitney was Aretha's goddaughter, which wasn't true, but apparently it was okay with Aretha at the beginning because she never complained about it until Dion rehashed it at the funeral. But did Aretha have to call it libelous? And did she have to say that she didn't have time to be Whitney's godmother? But I guess if she didn't have time to be a mother to her own children, she shouldn't have been expected to godparent little Whitney Houston, should she? And for those who don't know, Singer Darlene Love had the honor of being Whitney's real godmother. Also, too, I want to add about this uh, feud with Dionne Warwick. It actually goes back much. Now, back in the 1960s, Dionne Warwick was one of the biggest pop stars of that decade. She spent the 60s opening a a lot of doors for women on the pop charts. And, of course, she had that hit, uh, I Say a Little Prayer for You. Well, you know, when Aretha heard that, her feelings of jealousy really were fueled. You know, she wanted to be a bigger pop sensation than she was at the time. So what did Aretha do? She went and recorded her version of I Say a Little Prayer for You. And her version, in many people's opinions, including the opinions of Burt Bacharach and Hal David, who wrote the song, Aretha's version was superior They said it was the definitive version of that song. So I guess score one for Aretha on that. Now this is a little more alleged, a little more uh, murky. There were rumors of an Aretha versus Mahalia Jackson feud, allegedly because Mahalia refused to perjure herself in court to help C.L. Franklin. But there's not much said about it. I couldn't find much on it. So this will have to go in the rumor pile and the allegedly pile. Aretha versus Gladys Knight. These divas apparently had a stormy relationship that got stormier when Gladys wrote personal information about Aretha in her autobiography. I think Aretha thought Gladys reignited talk that Aretha's mother abandoned her, which was a very touchy subject for Miss Franklin. Aretha versus Patti LaBelle. This might not have been just about singing, but about cooking and the fact that Patty beat Aretha to the punch when she put out her successful line of sweet potato pies. 
Aretha had always wanted to start a food line, so it must have been hard to watch Patty succeed so wildly in this endeavor. Uh, Patty and Aretha were seen in public somewhere, where I think Aretha was the focus of the action. And uh, Patty was an audience member. And Patty looked like she was trying to speak to Aretha, and Aretha just walked right past her and didn't even look at her. This footage can be viewed on YouTube. Um, you know, just look up, I guess, Aretha walking past Patty LaBelle or something like that. And uh, it's pretty easy to find. Aretha versus Mavis Staples. Aretha recorded a gospel duet with Mavis, one of the few singers who could keep up with her. In fact, after hearing the recording, she felt that Mavis's vocals surpassed her own. So according to Aretha's sister Irma, Aretha had Mavis's vocal turned down low in the final mix, which caused there to be bad blood between the two longtime friends. Aretha versus her sisters Irma and Carolyn. Speaking of Aretha's sisters, Aretha supposedly did all she could to hold Irma and Carolyn back. Now remember, these are the first people that Aretha ever feuded with, these are her sisters who she grew up in the same house with. It was fine for them to work with her, arranging vocals and singing backup, even writing songs. But Aretha had a real problem with either of them having careers of their own. She blocked Irma from signing with Epic Records. And when Carolyn was offered the chance to sing on the Sparkle soundtrack, Aretha muscled her way in so that she ended up singing it. Aretha versus Tina Turner. Aretha allegedly became upset when people started calling the queen of rock and roll, calling Tina Turner the queen of rock and roll. I guess she thought it would cause confusion or something. I don't know. But Tina said it was crazy for Aretha to think that she was the only queen that there is. Aretha versus Beyonce. Now this is attached to Aretha's Tina Turner feud. Beyonce was somewhere on stage and she introduced Tina as the queen. And she is the queen of rock and roll, as we just stated. And Aretha had the typical Aretha conniption. But anyway, those are some of Aretha's feuds. I could have probably gone into more feuds, but hey, I had no idea how long this was going to take. But that's the story of Aretha Franklin's feuds, basically. You know, she basically feuded with whoever came up, you know, because... If it was a talented person, all of these people that she has had these feuds with have been very talented. And I think uh, Aretha admires the talent, but it also, you know, gave her feelings of insecurity about her own talent. And, you know, not just her talent, but her position and her supremacy. She needed to be the very best. And I think some of these people just, in her mind, you know, they were a threat. But uh, to be fair, they're were some singers that she liked as you know not just as singers but I guess as people you know she liked Jennifer Hudson enough to cast her as her in her biopic she liked Diana Ross and she liked Mariah Carey and sang some of Mariah's songs in her concerts like Hero um, Dream Lover and I thought it was hilarious when she did Touch My Body and according to Mariah Aretha insisted that Mariah sing at the very first Divas Live showing that she could be generous when she wanted to be. But the way that Aretha carried on, you might not guess that she was one of the most successful singers in the history of recording recorded sound. I mean, she had like maybe 112 different charting uh, on the charts over the course of her career. 
She was a pioneer with more than her share of firsts. She was the first woman inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. She was the youngest person up until Stevie Wonder came along to be uh, picked for the Kennedy Center Honors. She had a lot of honors. I can't even, I can't even get into that. That's probably a, an episode uh, unto itself, and it may be an episode that I, you know, try to do in the future. Um, she opened a lot of doors for black people and for women. She was difficult and hardy, but don't we expect that from our divas? I mean, we would be really bored if she was just sitting around being nice to everybody and all that type of thing. You know, no, this was a real battle for supremacy for her. And, you know, she did what she had to do, I suppose, at least, you know, in her mind. She was a difficult lady, but she never gave us less than too much. I'm Monica, and this is Remembering the Misremembered Musical Feuds. I don't know what I'm going to call it. I guess I'm going to just call it Aretha Queen of Feuds and not Aretha Queen of Verses. I think that probably uh, would be appropriate because Aretha was something else. And that is really missed. But anyway, Monica here, remembering the misremembered. Remembering the the super diva herself, Miss Aretha Franklin. I will see you soon.